Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's work. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. What's up, y'all? Good to see y'all. Now, if you don't know me, you're about to because I, I love to tell stories. And I love stories. I think that they speak so much to us. So I want to start you guys off. I want to tell one of my stories, and it fits perfectly uh, with the sermon content today. Once upon a time, there was a guy by the name of uh, New Gene Ledbetter. Now, little old, old New, New Gene lived in a community that was way off in the country. I mean, this is one of those places where they didn't even have a stop light. They had a stop sign. And if you, like, if you just swat a fly in front of your face, you'd, just, you, you'd pass through it. That's how small it was. You know, one of those small communities that had one church, one store. You know, everybody knew everybody, and everybody liked everybody just as long as it was convenient for them. Well, New Gene was a good old guy, except he had one problem. New Gene liked to lie. I mean, he liked to tell some stories. He, he, it was so bad. He would rather climb a tree and tell you a lie than stand on the ground and tell you the truth. Now, the preacher, the, the preacher noticed that this was getting to be a real problem. So he got all the elders together one day, and he's like, guys, we got to do something about New Gene, man. He is just, he, he's just bad. What can we do? And preacher was like, I know what we can do. I said, let's all get together. Let's go over to his place, and let's make up the most outrageous, just most ridiculous, crazy lie, and tell it to him. And once he realizes what it feels like to be on the other side of one of his belly floppers, then maybe he'll start telling the truth a little bit. So they said, that sounds good to me. Let's go up there tomorrow morning. So they met at the church, and they went on, on down the road a little bit and went out to New Jean's hunting camp where he was hanging out that time of year. They knocked on the door. He brought them in. He had some coffee and some pie. They sat there. They eat, ate and exchanged pleasantries. And then the preacher... The preacher said, all right now, New Gene, you, you, you might not remember this because you wasn't at church. But anyways, would you believe that last Sunday, right after the singing and right before we went into communion, through the back doors of the church burst the biggest, the meanest, the most gnarly looking grizzly bear that you ever did see? He came running down the middle aisle and he was just, just slobbering everywhere. And everybody was so scared. He came down right in front of the pulpit, in front of the Lord's Supper table, like they have them at those country churches. And he sat down and he let out the biggest roar. It was so, so big it made Uncle Versi's toupee fly off the top of his head. Then out. Through the back door followed this black and white spotted mangy looking old dog. And would you believe it that they ran throughout the altar of that church and that little mangy dog whooped that big old mean grizzly bear. And after not only did that dog whip that bear, he sat right there and he consumed the bear in one bite. He ate him. Now the preacher said, now New Gene, you believe that story? New Gene just sat back, put his hands behind his head. He said, heck yeah, I believe it. That is my dog. <laughs> now, now that right there 
is an, is an entertaining example of how sometimes we can, we can get in a hurry and get ahead of God a little bit. Sometimes our intentions are great. They might be pure, but what happens when we decide to get ahead of God? Nothing good happens, right? We might be here, and because we get impatient, we go back a few steps and have to start all over, and it's just a mess. And all God really wants us to do lots of the times is just to be patient and wait on Him and trust that He is working everything out the way that He wants to. So, and as we continue our series on fruitology, I'm going to be teaching about patience today. So let's read our anchor scripture, Galatians 5, through 25. It says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in any part of our lives. Now, how many of you guys, by a show of hands, like to wait? Ain't nobody's hand should be up. Y'all get grumpy if you sit through McDonald's and it's three minutes instead of two minutes in the line. And y'all know that I'm telling the truth because I get the same way. It is hard to wait. But, you know, as I was studying for this summer, I got to thinking to myself, is so, so many times in our culture and our language, we equate patience with waiting. And as a matter of fact, we use those words interchangeably. And as I began to study, I thought to myself, are the, were they, are they really meant to be used interchangeably? If they are, now let's just briefly step into the world of the esoteric, the esoteric and, and imagine, okay, if, if these two words mean the same thing, at what point in time in the history of the English language did these two words uh, split apart to become waiting and patience? Now, the same observation can be made of the Greek language as well, because you can take a look at the New Testament, and there are several words that are different words that we translate as patience and waiting or long-suffering or something else. Now, here's the good news. This is not going to be a sermon on the etymology of the word patience and waiting in the English language. And you said, oh, I'm so glad. But what we are going to do, what we are going to do is I want you guys for the next little while to forget about all your preconceived notions about patience. Everything that you think that you know about it, and let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about what patience is, how it's developed in our lives, and once it's developed, how does that look to other people? So we're not going to, we're, we're going to start off by defining patience. Now, it's important to, to know that when it comes to patience, you really can't look in the Oxford English Dictionary and find a proper definition of the word patience. I mean, you can, but on the other hand, you can't. Because patience, when we take a look at, at the Bible, and that's, I'm, I'm going to say that that's where the word patience needs to be defined from a biblical standpoint when you take a look at, at, at patience in the Bible, we, we see that patience is a characteristic of God that always shows itself when God is revealing himself to his people. 
We see this in several cases in the Old Testament. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. Let me set the stage here. So the nation of Israel, they've come out of Egypt after 400 years of bondage. They've been whining and complaining ever since they got out. You know, they left, oh gosh, I need the leeks and the onions and all that mess. Well, they, they were complaining what God kept providing for them. Then they came up against the Red Sea, and they're like, oh, you see, Moses, I knew it. We should have just stayed back in Egypt. Well, God comes in and works a miracle and causes the Red Sea to part, and then they get to, they get to Mount Sinai, the place where they're going to meet God. It's like the culmination of 400 years of history. They've been waiting for 400 years. They've been waiting for 400 years. Now Moses goes up onto the mountain for 40 days. And then they decide they can't wait any longer. That makes about zero sense, right? But it happened. So while Moses was on the mountain, they came to his brother Aaron. They were like, Aaron, we don't know. Moses up there, he might have died. You might need to make us a golden calf so that we can worship and do whatever we need to do. So Moses, Aaron's right. Yep, you're right. I'm going to make you a golden calf. Well, Long story short, Moses comes down, gets mad, breaks the Ten Commandments. And the first thing that Moses said is, everybody that's on the Lord's side, come over here. The vast majority of the people came over to Moses. And then Moses had to go back up to the mountain. And this is what God tells Moses right after he gets back up to the mountain, after his people have done that heinous deed. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. And he the Lord, passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I think that it speaks volumes of the heart and character in God and how that situation played out. You know, God had every right to pass judgment right then and there. And to some of those people, he did. But the majority of those people enjoyed the forgiveness, the grace of God because he was patient with them. Now, the patience of God we, we hear about it also in the book of Jonah, chapter 4. Everybody know who Jonah is? He's a dude that got swallowed up by the whale because he didn't want to do what God had told him to do, which was to go preach to the Ninevites so that they might be saved and repent from their sins. Well, after he runs, gets swallowed up by a fish, gets spit out on dry land, he reluctantly goes and preaches to the Ninevites. Well, guess what happens? The Ninevites get saved. They repent in sackcloth and ashes. They fast. And that was a really popular way of uh, mourning publicly back then. But then in chapter 4, verse 2, we find out really why Jonah ran in the first place. It's because he didn't like the Ninevites for one reason or another. And this is what he says. Jonah talking here. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? He's telling this to God. Lord, that is why I ran away to Tarshish. 
I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. Jonah knew it. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager, you are eager to turn back from destroying your people. Jonah knew what was going to happen. He was mad about it because he didn't like the Ninevites. But We also see it in Isaiah and in so many of the other prophets. Isaiah 30, the nation of Israel, they had gone through another cycle of disobedience and just falling away from God. And it, it made Isaiah so mad that in uh, chapter 30, verse 9, he describes the Israelites as being stubborn rebels who refused to pay attention to the Lord's instruction. So you'd think at some point in time, God's patience is going to run out and he's going to bring the hammer down. But this is what happens. Verse 18 and 19. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. O people of Zion, who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will be gracious if you ask for his help. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. All throughout the Old Testament, you see the story over and over again. And even as we flip the book into the New Testament, we see it there as well. As well. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter here, he's most likely writing to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and they are experiencing persecution for their beliefs. Like, there are people challenging them. They're, they're saying things like, Christ is not going to return again. Look at how, how long this has happened. You know, if, it would, if this amount of time has happened, you know, God, he would have already come back, and he would already have done this, that, and the other. Well, this is, this is Peter's encouragement to those people that are getting that argument. In verse 8 and 9, Peter says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Guys, outside of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God's patient towards the rebellion and resistance of humanity from the beginning of time to this present generation is the greatest expression of his unfailing love for us because it allows us time to repent. Because let us not forget what Paul says in Romans chapter 2 verse 4 about the kindness of God. It says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So to sum all this up, to bring everything together, talking about patience being a characteristic of the nature of God's personality. So when we're talking about that, we have to establish who exactly God is like, who, who is he at his base? Well, thankfully, 1 John 4 and 8 tells us that God is love. The very essence of God is love. And it is out of his, his love, who he is, that he is patient 
with us. Out of his patience, he extends to us mercy, grace, kindness, and forgiveness that ultimately leads us to faith in Jesus Christ and repentance from our sins. So, from that, we can come up with, with a, a good, solid, working definition of the word patience. And that is simply this. Patience is the act of extending mercy, grace, kindness, and forgiveness while waiting. Well, you're like, Matt, where does the, the waiting come in? Well, all that, God, while God is expressing all this love and forgiveness towards us, he is waiting until the completion of all things. Think about God. He was in the beginning when everything was perfect. Man messed it up. We sinned. And because sin came into the world, there was a debt. There was a process that had to be paid in order for God's relationship with us to be restored. He went through the Old Testament. He gave it first in the form of the law where we had sacrifices to cover the sins. That was not enough. The sin debt demanded a higher payment. That payment was paid on the cross at Calvary when Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and victory over sin came when he rose three days later and he is alive in heaven at the right hand of the father today and because Jesus is alive today we can have victory we get to experience the grace the mercy the forgiveness of God in our lives and it and, and it all begins with the fact that God is love and out of his love he has patience for us so with that is it is it any wonder why there's, there's an overall lack of patience in our society. You know, as I, as I wrote this sermon, like I couldn't get the picture out of my head of I-75, like in 575, gridlocked with traffic and everybody behind there just, just, just fussing and saying all sorts of colorful adjectives, you know, describing their situation. And they're just mad. And it's like, you know, the human side of us, we, we want to say, you know, oh, you just need to have patience. Well, what you really are meaning to say in that is you really need more of God in your life. You know, because, because that patience, both being patient and having patience is rooted in the character of God. Their way the, therefore, the only way to produce that fruit is to have more of God in your life. And in my life. So, so now that, that we know, know what it is, what exactly does that look like? So how does God, how does God work in our lives to produce that same patience that he has? How can we give that to other people? Well, the Bible has an answer for that as well. It comes in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. It says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So God works in our lives through trials, to bring about patience in our lives. So without, without the, the testing, the testing portion, the product of patience cannot be wrought. 
And th- this is difficult for us to, to imagine sometimes because nobody likes to go through trials. You know, there, so, some trials are little, you know, like going, you know, sitting in traffic. Nobody likes to do that, but that's not like life-altering. But there are, there are trials that you go through that are life-altering trials. That you, have to, that, that you sit down and like the wind and the waves, they are battering you. And, you know, you may or may not be, be questioning God and his whole purpose for your life. What do you do with those trials? The Bible says, how, how do I see the good in that? Well, the, the answer to that is, first of all, you've got to be rooted inside a relationship with God. You know, you're not going to be able to have that view unless you are connected with him. So, and there's, over time, as we go from trial to trial and navigate this, you know, it, it's the working out of your salvation. You know, you, it, it's, it's a process that we have to grab a hold. And after we, we, we go through several series of processes, then it's like we, we, become, we, we become refined as gold. And the end product is something absolutely amazing. And in my re- research, I found an excerpt from a uh, sermon that Charles Spurgeon uh, wrote and presented back in 1883. The sermon is titled, All Joy and All Trials. And I want to read this to you. Like, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's kind of lengthy, but it's good. Brothers and sisters, if in a word we learn endurance, we have taken a high degree You look at the weather-beaten sailor, the man who is at home on the sea. He has a bronzed face and mahogany-colored flesh. He looks as tough as the heart of oak and as hardy as if he were made of iron. How different from us poor landsmen. How did the man become so inured to hardship, so able to breast the storm, that he does not care whether the wind blows southwest or northwest? He can go out to the sea in any kind of weather. He has his sea legs on. How did he come to this strength? By doing business in great waters. He could not have become as hardy a seaman by tarrying on shore. Now, trial works in the saints. That spiritual hardihood which cannot be learned in ease. You may go to school forever, but you cannot learn endurance there. You may color your cheek with paint, but you cannot give it that ingrained brown which comes of stormy seas and howling wind. Strong faith and brave patience come of trouble. And a few men in the church who have thus been prepared are worth anything in times of tempest. He was tough on his people. To reach that condition of firm endurance... And sacred hardihood is worth all the expense of all the heaped up trouble that ever came upon us from above or from beneath. When trial worketh patience, we are incalculably enriched. The Lord give us more of this choice grace. As Peter's fish had the money in its mouth, so have sanctified trials, spiritual riches for those who endured them graciously. Guys, patience is wrought in our lives when we get out and do business 
on the great waters. So what, what does that mean? That means taking a godly stance and position when it comes to your trials. So in, in other words, you have to be properly prepared. And ju- just like, you know, go, going back to the reference of the, the seaman here, he, he's right here. He's, he's been a sailor and he's been doing this. He's, he's hardened to it. You know, he's a, he's a man, you know, but he didn't come that way overnight. And what is the, what, what's the first thing that has to happen before he begins to go out and, and attack the seas and get to where he needs to be? What's the first thing? He has to prepare his ship. He's got to get things stowed away. He's got to lock all the hatches down and batten all whatever else needs to be battened down. And then he can go out. Then he, and then he can navigate the seas. And he can, he, he can focus on what he's doing because he's prepared. Guys, the, the only way that you can prepare to do business on the sea of life is to increase your faith and get closer to God and focus on what you need to be doing to be more Christ-like. And you have to be diligent in those things. So what does that look like? It looks like reading your Bible every day, even when you don't feel like it. It means praying every day when you don't feel like it. Because I promise you, when when you connect with God, however you connect with God, like the, the, the next thing that might come, somebody might say was, well, you need to have a good attitude. Well, your your attitude is directly predicated on how close you are to God. Otherwise, we're just working out of a a, a, a surface humanitarian act of of trying to come up with a good attitude about a bad situation. And that that just doesn't work. Just doesn't work. The only way is to get as close to God as you possibly can. Don't forget the, el- the element of being prepared here. You know, it's bef- you do that before the storm hits. Otherwise, you're just going to be scrambling. So, you, at, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, I, I tried to come up with, with an example that I could share to, to illustrate these things. And I'm a dad, so I'm co- I, I constantly deal with, you know, Children who do not do what I tell them to do. This is frustrating to me. You know, when I tell, when I tell my, my daughters and my two-year-old son, you need to do this, I, I don't know. I'm like, if I say it one time, I think they should get it. But that's just not, not the case. So I started think, thinking to myself, and like the whole process of this trial of parenting, you know, I'm pretty sure it lasts more than 18 years. <laughs> so what if I, I, I really began to think, what if I changed my position on my, my parenting? What, what if I started looking at this whole parenting trial? Let's call it a trial, Okay. The whole parenting trial, which will bring about joy and does. What if I viewed this the way that, that God views us? 
So, so, so what if, and my, what I mean by I say that is, what if I, what if I realized where we were at now, and I acknowledged that there was a process that needed to, to take place, but one day, I don't know when that day is, one day they're, they're going to get it, and they're going to be okay. How would that change how I addressed my children? And then, and, and then I, I believe the Holy Spirit cha- challenged me, and I thought to myself, how can I, if that's true, if I'm looking towards the end, then my, my part to play is how can I engage them in a constructive matter that, in a constructive way that in, will encourage them and help to guide them through this process and doing it in a way that will not make them hate me and resent me later in life or you know have them think that I'm at least an angry parent how can I avoid all that because here's the fact my children and your children are first and foremost God's children as a loving and caring God just as he has a plan for you and me he has a plan for these little people too is God not working that plan out yes he is should I trust the Lord in what he's doing in their lives right now? Absolutely. So my part becomes more of an encourager and a guider. You know, I have the opportunity to engage them in that manner. So I got to think, thinking about that, and you know, I, I think that there's, there, there's an outline and there's a framework to addressing that trial that I think that we can apply to other trials in our lives. You know, so the first thing that you do when there's a trial coming or there's one on the horizon, you, you have to recognize that, that there's a trial. Just know that it's there. Then number two, realize that the trial presents an opportunity for us to acknowledge that God is in control, that he has a plan. There's some good that's going to come from it. You might not be able to see what it is. But God's working that good. Then number three, visualize the end result when you are acting in a godly manner, when you're addressing this trial in a godly manner. And then number four, identify your part to play and execute until it's finished. And guys, I think, I think that when we prepare ourselves to address trials in that manner and we take proper precautions to prepare ourselves by getting in the word and and getting as close to God as much as you you can so that who he is just absolutely permeates you when those trials come and you're out on those stormy seas and the wind is raging and the sails are just rent across the mast you will have absolute perfect peace in that situation because you have faith, you serve, and you know the person that controls the wind and the waves in the first place. Then you'll look out over the boat of life and just as Peter, Jesus beckoned Peter to come, you'll see Jesus standing out there in the horizon and he's beckoning you to come towards him. Steer your boat in the, in the heading of his direction 
and focus on him as he takes care of everything else that swirls around you. When we do that, I believe that Psalm 91 comes to pass in our lives. And this is what it says in verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near to you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. So, more often than not, guys, God, we, we, we don't pray for patience and God gives us patience. God gives us the opportunity to be patient by allowing us to go through trials. Patience is a product of the Holy Spirit working in your life to make you more like Christ through prayer, reading your Bible, coming to church, participating in worship services, and being around a community, a community of believers that can lift you up and encourage you. Just in summation here, the four things that I think that, that, we, can, that we can do to address a trial and see it patiently through the end are thus. Number one, acknowledge that God is in control. Number two, know that God is working things out for your good. Number three, visualize the end and respond in a godly manner. And number four, know your part and execute. Do what you know is right and you need to do. And here's the good news. You know, if you, if you fail to address a trial in a godly manner, it's okay. God will send you another one. You know? He'll probably be there tomorrow. But... As James has written, at some point, patience will bring about its perfect work in your life. And when it does, it will not only be evident to you, but it will be evident to everyone else. See, when patience is demonstrated in our lives, first and foremost, we exude peace. Because we are intimately connected to God, we know who he, who he is and He knows us. We know that He's going to see us through whatever comes our way, whatever it is. And He's going to work good in that. You'll also be able to extend grace and mercy to others. Because there again, you've experienced the grace and mercy of God. You'll find yourself a more forgiving person because you are experiencing the forgiveness of God. The outward demonstration of patience on our part is a mirror of all the attributes of God that we talked about 
at the beginning of the sermon. And we are becoming more and more like Christ as we grow, grow in our faith and reflecting those attributes to other people. So just bringing everything together here quickly and clo closing from our study today, we can make the following deduction. Because God loves us, He is patient with us. Out of His patience, He then extends to us mercy, grace, kindness, and forgiveness that ultimately leads us to faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of our sins. Then the Holy Spirit works in our lives to bear the fruit of patience so we will supernaturally be able to demonstrate peace and extend mercy, grace, kindness, and forgiveness to others while we are waiting for the completion of the trial in our life so that through us Christ is glorified others will see God working in us and they'll want God to work in their lives too so you might be sitting there this morning and you say I don't know anything about God I don't know anything about Jesus or the Holy Spirit but I know this I could use some patience I know I could use some forgiveness I could use some of that grace and mercy in my life we're going to pray for Jesus to come into your life and be Lord and Savior because that's the beginning. That's where it all starts. Or you may just be sitting there. You've been a believer for a while and you're just like, Matt, I need, I need more patience. I need to be able to address trials, trials in a more godly manner. So we're going to pray two prayers, one for salvation, and then we're going to pray another prayer that God will grant us the discipline to pursue His presence every day. Because the daily pursuit of God's presence is what's going to bring the fruit of the Spirit, patience and all of them, to bear in your life. And why are we praying for discipline? Because discipline wins when, when desire fails every time. Because they're going to be someone you're not going to want to read your Bible. You're not going to want to do what you need to do to get it done. But guess what? God has not created us to be slaves to our emotions. He has created us to be compelled by His Spirit. And God's Spirit will help you. Everyone bow your head and close your eyes, please. If you are in here and you have never accepted Christ into your life and you say, this is the day, Matt. I want to give my heart to God. I want to surrender to Him. You go ahead and raise your hand, and we'll pray for you. We'll celebrate with you together. And if you're out there and you just say, Matt, I want to be more patient. I want to address trials in a godly manner. And I know that connecting to God daily and passionately pursuing His presence is what I need to be doing just need a little more discipline to make that happen. Would you, would you just raise your hand? Got lots of hands there. 
So let's just all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just thank you so much for, for Jesus, for sending him to die on the cross, Father, so that we could experience your love and your grace and your mercy and your patience, Father. God, we pray this morning that you would just give us supernatural discipline to read our Bible, to pray, God, to do the things that we know will bring us closer to you. God, we just want more of you in our lives. God, and I just pray that through pursuing you, that the patience that we will exude, Father, Lord, in the trials, in the peace, I pray that others will be able to see that, that you would get all the glory, Father, and that through us, you would bring people to your saving grace. Thank you so much. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.